So we are here. This is it. This is the last sermon in our series in the book of Romans. March 27, 2016 was our first Sunday in the book of Romans. That's more than a year ago. Now we are here. We have gone through 16 chapters of the book of Romans. And we are now at the last sermon in the book of Romans. And we have learned so much about the gospel, about Jesus, about this good news that Paul proclaims, that he talks about all through this book of Romans. We've learned so much about it, and it has been so interesting and cool to have it become part of our lives. We have truly been living by faith this past year as we studied the book of Romans, and we've accomplished a lot of things. And what I mean by that is like you and I, we have accomplished a lot this past year. Look at, we worship in this beautiful sanctuary. We built this sanctuary. In this building, you look around, there are things happening. It is being constructed. We are building this building. We went to Calvin College. We were at Calvin College for like over eight months and we were there and we survived. And not only did we survive, we kind of thrived while we were there. And like 700, more than 700, more than 700 of you served while we were at Calvin College. And we've raised and contributed large amounts of money. And not only that, there's a lot of other stuff that's been going on. Some of you have committed to short-term mission projects. You've gone on short-term missions opportunities. Some of you have even committed to long-term mission assignments. Some of you have adopted a child or you're in the process of adopting a child. You're doing a lot. It's good stuff. So much has been happening this past year as we're navigating. Some of you have had to fight disease this past year and you're beating cancer. Or there may be some other disease, maybe it's depression, but you are winning because you are doing so much. We are doing so, so much that in this last Sunday, I think we need to memorialize this. We need to have a record of what happened. So I thought I would bring my phone out and we can do a selfie. We can do a group selfie to recognize and remember this day. Now, I got instructions on how to do this. So I pull the phone out, and I turn it, and I kind of do this. Oh, that's backwards. Don't want that one. Want a face on me. Yep, that's me. That's a good-looking guy right there. But this needs to be a group. This isn't just about me. It's about the stuff you've done, too. And it's not enough just to have the phone, because this needs to be kind of like a super selfie. So I got a selfie stick here. Everyone needs a selfie stick. If you don't have a selfie stick, I strongly encourage you to go out and buy a selfie stick, especially one that extends. <laughs> oh, and you got to plug this in because otherwise it doesn't work. So I plug this in because we're going to take a group selfie. We get to remember this day, special day. We've accomplished a lot, remember? So we got me in the selfie. There we go. You're a bit, okay, wait. I would say smile, but smile's not the right thing to do for a selfie. You need to purse your lips, kind of like this. <laughs> and if you purse your lips and turn your head at the same time, it makes you look prettier, I think. Because like, you know, eight out of 10 selfies have people pursing their lips, right? So purse your lips, turn your heads. Yes, this is group participation. <laughs> not just me, group selfie. Purse your lips, turn your heads. There we go. Boom. Selfie. But we've done so much that one's not enough. So I said, oh, a bunch of you served at, who, who served at Kelvin? Somebody raise your hand. Raise your hand who served at Kelvin. Come on, don't be shy. 
Don't be shy. Okay, let's go down here. Alan, stand up. Come on, Alan, don't be shy. I'm telling you, man, this is going to increase your Instagram followers. I promise you. Okay, selfie. Boom. There we go. Selfie. One, two. Two is probably not enough. I know a bunch of elders sit over here, so we'll get an elder selfie. You guys made a lot of great decisions this past year. Deacons over here. Oh, there's a deacon in the middle. We got deacons right there. Boom. Deacons. Deacons handled all the money. They've done a great job with the money the past year. It's a little awkward, isn't it? No, it's awkward for a lot of reasons. But there's something not right. There's something not right about taking selfies in church to memorialize what we have done. So is this the way that we're going to end the book of Romans? Absolutely not. This is not the way we're going to end the book of Romans because this is not the way that Paul ends the book of Romans. So let's look how Paul ends the book of Romans. So take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 16. And if you have a Bible, turn to Romans 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew or the rack in front of you and open that Bible up to page 923. Page 923, Romans 16. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 27. These are the last three verses in Romans chapter 16. And they are, in fact, the last three verses in all of the book of Romans. And here as we come to the book, the last three verses, now I want you to think about something. Normally, when Paul ends a letter, normally he ends with a benediction. He ends with something that says, may, may the glory or may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But here he doesn't end with a benediction. It's as if Paul comes to the end of all he has written in the book of Romans and he can no longer contain himself. It's like he cannot keep it all inside. So he thinks back over all he has written, not able to keep it inside, and he just lets it fly. Look what he writes, beginning in verse 25. Not to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. At the end of his letter to the Romans, at the end of his letter to us, Paul here wells up with praise towards God. He wells up with the praise towards God, the God who has provided this gospel, the God who has provided this good news, the God who has given to us Jesus for our salvation, for reconciliation, and for healing. And God is given the glory because Paul here wells up and he gives this glory to God because Paul knows that it is God who has done all this. He doesn't focus on himself. He doesn't focus on other people. He focuses on God. And he proclaims all of these words to God. That is why it became so uncomfortable and awkward as I was talking about everything that we had done. 
That is why it was so awkward as I was taking selfies of all of us because I was focusing on what we have done and it's not about what you have done. It's not about what I have done. It's about what God has done. And so Paul, as he comes to these last three verses in the book of Romans, turns the focus away from himself, turns the focus away from others, and puts the focus upon God. It's all about God. It's all about what God has done. Everything we've talked about, all of grace beyond, all of the relationships, all of the reconciliations, all of the healings, all of the service is all about God and what he has done here at Calvary Church and what he has done in your life and what he has done in my life. And I only mentioned a few of the things that have happened. There are many more things that God has done. There are many more stories that God is telling in your life, in my life, things that are happening in our life at Calvary Church. And every time we focus on God in these stories, every time we focus on him, we come to a God who is merciful and gracious and good and healthy. And this is a God who is holy and cares for us deeply. It's as if we come to a God in our stories that we cannot give enough honor and praise and glory to because he is so good and he is so right and he is so merciful and he is so gracious. So as we come to the end of the book of Romans, what should our response be? How should we respond to this God who is present with us, this God who has guided us, and this God who has loved us day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year? What should be our response? Our response should be a doxology of praise. Paul knows that's what the response should be. It's what his response is. Paul ends the book of Romans with a doxology of praise. A doxology which is not only the doxology for the people in the church in Rome, it is a doxology for all of us here at Calvary Church. These last three verses of the book of Romans are a doxology. The word doxology comes from the Greek word dox, which means glory, and the Greek word logos, which means word. So a doxology is a word that ascribes or gives glory to God. A doxology is a word that ascribes or gives glory to God. The idea behind this and other doxologies is that everything exists and everything happens to draw attention to God and his glory. It is all about God in a doxology turns our focus away from each other and puts our focus on God because it is all about him. Now I want you to see that there is a difference between a doxology and a benediction. Look at verse 24, or at least where 24 could have been. If you're in the NIV, you're going to see that there is a subscript C there which directs you to the bottom of the page where it says, some manuscripts include here, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you, amen. Now that's a benediction. Verses 25 through 27 are a doxology. There is a difference between a benediction and a doxology. A benediction is from God to you. A doxology is from you to God. 
A benediction is towards God's people from God. A doxology is from God's people towards God. A benediction is God blessing you. A doxology is you giving your praise to God. Here, Paul begins his doxology in verse 25 with three words. Now to him. These are the final words of Paul, and they are words to God, words that are meant to give God glory. The intention and the focus in 25 immediately turns to God. Now to him. But this is not a simple sign-off. Paul doesn't say, now to him be glory. Paul inserts phrase after phrase about him. Paul inserts phrase after phrase about God here. And he does that in addition to inserting some information about the gospel. But then he comes back and he gives glory to God at the end in verse 27, the last words of this book. So put the beginning and the ending together. And from the beginning of verse 25 and from the end of verse 27, you get the doxology. Now to him, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. This is the doxology itself. This is the doxology proper. And when you see a doxology like this, when you see a doxology like this pronounced or sung, or if you read one, you will see that it is a form of speaking or singing that is meant to give glory to God. It is meant to take focus away from ourselves and give glory to God. So this doxology here at the end of the book of Romans is meant to give glory to God in recognizing that everything exists for him and everything exists to give attention to him and his glory. And then Paul continues, because this isn't just a simple doxology. It doesn't just say, now to him, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. It says much more. As I said earlier, Paul inserts phrase after phrase about God. And more specifically, he inserts phrases about God and about what God does. Look again at verse 25. We'll see what he does. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. This is the gospel that Paul has been explaining throughout the book of Romans. The gospel is the truth that God sent his one and only son to earth to live a sinless life, to die on a cross, to be raised from the dead, so that if you, if I, if anyone puts their faith and trust in Jesus, their sins will be forgiven and they will never face judgment from God. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ that Paul is talking about here. Now, don't, don't get caught up in the fact that Paul calls it my gospel. This is not a different gospel from the gospel in the rest of the Bible. It is the same gospel. This is Paul's way of saying that this is the gospel that he received from Christ. It's Paul's way of saying that he is certain of its content and he is certain of its truth. So don't get caught up in that my gospel phrase. Now, what is it that God is able to do? Paul proclaims that God is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. Other literal versions translate establish with the word strengthen. It means to fix something, to, 
to make it stand upright and immovable. To fix something to make it stand upright and immovable. It's the idea of placing us on solid and stable ground. God is bringing you and me to a place where we are no longer shaky and unstable, but we are solid and secure. He is strengthening us. Paul expresses this same idea in Philippians chapter 1 and in verse 6. Look at what Paul writes there. Very similar idea to what he's saying here at the end of the book of Romans. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now notice, notice who is doing all of the work. It's God himself who is responsible for this. God himself is working in you to carry on in you to completion what he wants to do. And here in verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you. God is responsible for establishing you and he is establishing you. He is strengthening you in accordance with his gospel. He has placed your feet on solid ground. Now when you are going through life, and when in life you are experiencing the storms of life and you feel like the waves are going to drown you or you are so deep in turmoil that you cannot get, find your way out when it all feels overwhelming to you, you need to recognize that what Paul is saying here is that God is the one who has established you according to the gospel. He has placed you on firm and solid ground and he is working towards making you immovable that God is doing this work in you and he wants to and is going to bring you to a place of security and peace where you will not be overwhelmed by fear and anxiety, where you will not be tempted to be angry, where you will not be angry, hostile, jealous. These are the things that God is working on in your life as he is moving you towards solid and secure ground. God has established you according to the gospel. And if you are in the midst of the struggle right now, God is establishing you according to the gospel. He is working in the difficulty. He is even working in the difficulty to put you onto solid ground, to make you immovable. And you know this. You know this. Some of the things that I've mentioned at Calvary Church that have happened over this past year, grace beyond this building, going to Calvin, all the service, all the, everything that's happened is God working in us, establishing us according to the gospel. God is doing the work. And you know this in your individual stories as well. You know this in your individual stories as well. How would you have ever gotten through the, your depression if it wasn't for the gospel? How would you have stayed married if it wasn't for the gospel? How would you have survived the infidelity if it wasn't for the gospel? How would you deal with that friend at school who has betrayed you if it wasn't for the gospel? How would you survive that financial crisis if it wasn't for the gospel? 
God is working you, in you, establishing you according to the gospel. He, is put, he has put you on firm and solid ground. And if you are struggling right now, trust that he is putting you on firm and solid ground. He is establishing you according to his gospel. Now Paul turns and he's going to further explain the gospel which establishes this gospel that strengthens believers. Now look. The gospel which establishes believers is, look, middle of verse 25. It is the message I proclaim about Jesus. Jesus is the central reality of the gospel. Did you hear what I said? Jesus is the central reality of the gospel. Without Jesus, there is no gospel. Without Jesus, there is no good news. The heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ. All through the letter of Romans, over and over and over again, Jesus Christ is identified as the gospel. Jesus Christ is the good news. Without him, no good news. Without him, no gospel. Look at what Jesus himself says. John records this in John chapter 15. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself declares the uniqueness of his position. There is no one else like Jesus in all of history. There is no theologian, there is no person, there is no other representative of another religion that is like Jesus. Jesus is singularly unique. He is at the center of all of history. He is at the center of any and all religion. He is at the center of all truth. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. So when you talk, listen, when you talk about Jesus, when you talk about this gospel, when you talk about this gospel, make sure you say Jesus. Say Jesus. Now I know, now I know, I know it's scary. It's scary for me. But when you are talking about the gospel, say Jesus because Jesus is the gospel. If you don't say Jesus, what are you saying? Now, I know there's going to be people that are trying to extract you. People are going to say, ask you, hey, so what about evolution? Or how about this one? Well, how can there be evil in this world if God is so loving and kind? Now, I am not suggesting you ignore those questions. But when you're in that discussion, turn it back to Jesus. So, who do you think Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Ask the question. Because Jesus is the central issue. So speak Jesus. A couple of months ago, I met with a guy, we're going to call him Mike. Mike's a friend of one of my sons. And I met with Mike. We had a cup of coffee and we're talking. And Mike wanted to meet because he wanted to share some stuff with me that was going on in his life. So we get together and Mike shares with me that he had just checked himself into rehab because he was struggling with various substances. And Mike goes on and he continues to explain kind of what was going on in his life and he describes it as dark. And as he's describing what's going on, I, you can, I can just sense the darkness that Mike is experiencing. So I think to myself, how do you defeat darkness? What defeats darkness? Light. Light defeats darkness. 
And then I make the next step and I think to myself, who claims to be light? Let me try that again. Who claims to be light? Jesus, what I say, say it. Jesus claims to be light. So I think to myself, Mike's going through all this darkness. Jesus claims to be light. Light overcomes the darkness. So I say, have you thought about Jesus? Because Jesus claims to be the light of the world that overcomes darkness. I didn't say it about Jesus. Jesus said it about himself. Yeah, it sounds crazy. But Jesus says he's the light of the world and only he overcomes darkness. Guess what? Mike didn't care about evolution. Mike didn't, Mike didn't deal with the conundrum of God in the presence of evil. Mike recognized that Jesus is the light that overcomes darkness. And now... God is establishing Mike according to his gospel. He is placing his feet on firm and solid ground so he can deal with the substances, so he can deal with the other darkness. That's what the gospel does. Where is Mike? Where is Mike without the gospel? Can you tell me? Lost in darkness. Can you tell me where any of you are without the gospel? Lost. That's why we need the gospel. Because without the gospel, our legs are wobbly and we're on wobbly ground. With the gospel, with Jesus, because God is establishing us by proclaiming Jesus to us, we can stand on firm and solid ground. Without that, you are just going to wobble and be shaky. Say Jesus. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay, next. Paul continues to explain. It's like I said, man, he is letting it fly. He cannot say enough about this gospel. So he continues to explain what it looks like to establish you and me. Look what he writes at the end of verse 25. In keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. In the New Testament, Mystery does not refer to something mysterious or to a puzzle that needs to be solved, but rather to something previously hidden and now revealed. Look at what it says. It says right that and right in the verse. In keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed. But there's a problem here. And the problem is, if Paul is referring here to the gospel, then how was it kept hidden for long ages past. How was it kept hidden for long ages past? After all, like thinking back to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there is image after image of the gospel given to us in the Old Testament. Like after Adam and Eve sin, God slays an animal to clothe them with the skin of the animal. Or after they sin, God says to Eve, he says, your seed, the seed of Eve, will crush the head of the serpent. An image of the gospel. Or how about the story of Abraham? In the story of Abraham, God says to Abraham, he says that I am going to bless all people through you. And then what about when he takes Isaac up to that mountain and he's going to sacrifice Isaac and what does God do? God provides a substitutionary sacrifice. He brings a ram so that Abraham kills the ram instead of his own son. It's an image of the gospel. 
Or what about the whole Jewish sacrificial system that is laid out in the law of Moses? Again, an image, a foreshadowing of the gospel that was to come. So how was the gospel kept secret in long ages past? Because it was not fully revealed. It's easy for us to look back on those Old Testament stories and see the gospel. We can now look back at this, these Old Testament texts and clearly see this gospel. But it wasn't so clear to those people then. They knew, those people knew that God was going to provide, he was going to give a savior. But even the disciples who knew that Jesus was the savior did not know why God had to die, why Jesus had to die. Even the disciples didn't know that. So in that sense, the gospel is in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed. Because we can see it much more clearly looking backwards than they could see it looking forward. And that's because we know the mystery. The mystery has been revealed. Look what Paul writes in Colossians. Look what he writes in Colossians 1, 24 through 27. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servants by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. What? The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And now he is going to define for us the mystery of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is the revelation of Christ in you, of Christ in me, the hope of glory that Christ resides in you, that there is this mystery that Jesus, by his virgin birth, Jesus, by his sinless life, Jesus, by his death on the cross, Jesus, by his resurrection from the dead, is this mystery, this gospel, this good news, and this Christ actually, if you believe... If you declare with your mouth that he is Lord and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that Jesus Christ actually lives in you. That is the mystery. Again, the mystery that Paul is revealing is Jesus in all that he is. Jesus is the mystery. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. But if Christ is in you and he is the hope of glory and this glory resides in you because Christ resides in you, what does it mean? What does it mean for you? 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 What does it mean for me? What does it mean if Christ is in me, the hope of glory? Well, Paul tells us, it means that you will live an obedient life. Look at verse 25 again. Look at, let's read now, to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. Again, this gospel about Jesus, it's the mystery revealed about Jesus, so that, see those words? So that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. 
Paul closes this letter to the Romans the same way that he opened the letter to the Romans. Look what he writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to what? To the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Paul is calling all of us to obedience that comes from faith for God's glory. That's another way of saying for his name's sake. The obedience is for God's glory. Paul introduces this in the first chapter of Romans and he closes in the 16th chapter of Romans that the goal is obedience that comes from faith. Now, Paul is not saying, Paul is not saying that you are saved by faith plus works. You are saved by your faith and your faith alone. We are not saved by the things we do. God saves us through our faith by his grace. But what he is saying, and this I want to be extremely clear, that genuine saving faith always results in a life of obedience to Christ. Always. Genuine saving faith always results in a life of obedience. If you say you believe in Christ, yet you do not obey him, you do not have genuine saving faith. Jesus himself says this. Jesus says, Lord, Lord, there are going to be those who cry out, Lord, Lord, and even do miracles in my name, but they don't obey. So they do not have genuine saving faith. James has the same kind of idea when he says faith without works is dead. In John, in the letter of 1 John, John writes this, and this is pretty clear. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Genuine saving faith results in obedience to Jesus Christ. And now listen to this. This is not just obedience for obedience sake. There is a purpose behind this obedience. Yes, it demonstrates the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. It demonstrates your genuine faith. But think about this. If the ultimate goal, if our ultimate goal is to give all glory and honor and praise to God, if everything exists because of him and for him and by him, if everything is for God and because of God and we want to focus and turn our focus on him because that is what he wants from us, if that is the ultimate goal, then obedience is extremely close to that ultimate goal. It is very closely tied to giving glory to God. Think about what Paul's done in the chapter in Romans chapter 16. How did he start Romans chapter 16? He starts Romans chapter 16 by acknowledging and commending people who have given obedience to Jesus. Those who have served, those who have worked hard, those who have endured sickness and suffering for the sake of Christ. He acknowledges and commends those people. It's what Jim did last week. So Jim takes the selfie stick, and instead of taking a picture of himself, he flips it, and he takes a picture of individuals within our congregation who are faithfully obeying Jesus Christ by working hard, by serving hard, by going to the mission field, by enduring disease. These are acts of obedience, and they are commendable. It is right to point these things out. But why ultimately do we point these things out? 
Because every act of obedience gives glory to God. It's not primarily the focus that we can give to each other, although that is commendable. It is a good thing. But ultimately, every act of obedience testifies to the reality of God and to the goodness of God. Think about this for a minute. If someone is suffering, if somebody is struggling right now with cancer, and through that cancer, you recognize that your goal is to give glory to God, no matter what you're experiencing. If you are in depression, but you recognize that you are to give glory to God, even though you feel down and you are depressed. What happens when other people look at you and see you are enduring? And see you are giving praise and honor and glory to God? What happens when people see that? They glorify God because they say, wow, that must be a merciful, gracious, holy, special, good God. Our obedience turns the focus away from ourselves and gives focus upon God and gives him the honor and the glory and the praise that only he deserves, which brings us right back to the doxology itself, right where we started. Now to him, to the only wise God, be glory through Jesus Christ, amen. It is all about God. It is all about giving our focus on God because everything exists for him. And the beauty is when we do that, we live the truth of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Because if you want to discover and experience the hope of glory, if you want to be able to experience the glory of God, Christ must reside in you. And when he does and you turn and give focus to God, not only do you give him praise and honor and your worship, but he turns around and gives you a better and greater experience of his glory. And that's what we were made for. We were made to experience the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The whole earth declares the glory of God. And every one of you was made to experience the glory of God. Whether you feel like you are on the top of a mountain or you feel like you are in the bottom of a valley, when you turn and worship and praise and honor God, you live for what you are meant to experience and that is the glory of God. At the end of this letter, it is like Paul bows his head and raises his hands and says, God, it is all about you. I turn my worship and my honor and my praise to you, and I give you glory. I give you honor. I give you all the worship. And that leaves us right where we began. Worshiping the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, 
the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, exclamation point, amen.